0: Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. Another jet season is in the books. Another year of misery and pain and confusion and sometimes happiness and jubilation has come to a close. The year of 2023 has passed us. We are into 2024. The offseason has officially started. NFL coaching cycles are flying around like crazy. We've got, I believe, eight official job openings right now across the NFL Um, just at head coach, multiple other openings in terms of coordinators and the Jets have none of them. We have come to this season going into 2024. Robert saw is running it back with his whole staff. Nathaniel Hackett, offensive coordinator, seemingly staying Keith Carter, offensive line coach staying as well. Haven't heard any word about quarterback coach, Rob Calabrese or assistant Todd Downing on the offensive side of the ball. Nothing happening there. Defensively, Staff has done a very good job. Wouldn't expect anybody to be fired. However, we've waiting to see if Jeff Ulbrich, a defense coordinator is going to get any head coach interviews. And if he were to get some interviews and possibly get another gig somewhere else to go and run a team, that's going to leave an opening for the jets at DC, Matt, uh, I want to go over this with you. We've talked a lot before we started recording, looking at this season from where it started at the beginning of this year, you know, A year ago, end of 2022 season, Zach Wilson's second year. Things don't go quite as well. You get to seven and ten to your final record. You're not. Confident that Wilson's going to be able to lead you anywhere going into year three, but your defense is rounding into form. You just drafted the offensive and defensive rookie of the years. You have a superstar running back uh, who played a handful of games as a rookie before being lost to injury that you're expecting to come back strong. You have a really talented piece on your offensive line in his second year that was playing well that you lost to injury that you're expecting to come back strong. You have a good solid amount of draft ammo, and you got some money to spend in free agency. You're looking to upgrade, improve, find who that missing piece quarterback is going to be to take over your team and potentially make use of this great defense and the rest of this roster. And here we are now, a year later, and they found that quarterback and got four plays out of him before everything else seemingly went to hell. And what we want to talk about today for those listening is... All of the other problems that get lost in the shuffle of Aaron Rodgers tearing his Achilles and being out for the season within a few plays to start the year against the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football to open the season. There were a lot of other important dates and actions on this timeline. The the timeline of suck, if you will, (laughs) as you coined it, Matt, that are important and really, really vital to mention and acknowledge in the whole story of this year. So, Matt, I want to toss things to you. The first date on this timeline of suck going back to last year, before Aaron Rodgers was a New York Jet, before we even knew if Rodgers was going to be playing in 2023, possibly, or if he would be retiring, leaving the Packers, going somewhere else. The first date on that timeline where everything was really kind of set in motion to teeter, all uh, all, and hinge, really, on Aaron Rodgers was the hiring of Nathaniel Hackett. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it was nepotism at
1: its finest. It's, all right, we're going to hire the fr- the, one of the best friends of the guy that we want. Not really have any other value other than that. Now, that's a, a move of pure desperation on its own, that we're so desperate to get this guy that we will fill the void of one of the most important uh, coaching spots on the team with a figurehead just to bait this guy to join our team. That in itself is just bonkers. Uh, I guess, like, I mean, it, when you have a team like the Jets who haven't sniffed success in a long time, uh, it does lead, lead to. Things that are this desperate, the actions that are at least this desperate, uh, but it doesn't make it any less desperate. And the stench is impalpable. I can I I can't I can't control my my gag reflex thinking back to this hire, and because it, 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 we had an example of him just the year before at Denver of what he was capable of, uh, and when he's finally given the the responsibility of play calling uh, and it sucked it didn't, he made Russell Wilson look like crap uh, so, and as we saw this year, it, it, Russell Wilson is, still has a little bit left in the tank to look a little serviceable so it wasn't, it wasn't Russ. it was Hack Hack was a big reason why uh, that Denver team was horrible, but you know what let's bring him in, let's have him run our offense yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so that, that's where it all started to go bad. And then, but you know what? I, I just remembered something from that time that there was, there was a sense of doing the right thing uh, before we went the Hackett route. There were uh, attempts made to go after guys like Bill Callahan as our offensive coordinator. Uh, which is somebody I was hooting and hollering for from the beginning. Like, we need this guy. We have one of the worst offensive lines in the league. If we're going to bring anybody in, we should bring in somebody that can fix that. And Bill Callahan is the best of the best in this league when it comes to offensive line. Uh, And they at least made an attempt. They reached out to the Browns to bring him in. And the Browns realized the value of Callahan right away and gave him an extension and did not allow him to interview with us. Uh, So as soon as the the right move was off the table, it's like they pivot right away to the exact opposite of the spectrum with Hackett, and then it was all downhill from there. Then you have the the hiring of uh, of Keith Carter as well, and neither of these hires. On the surface, look good, uh, especially uh, Hackett, but Keith Carter as well. It's like everywhere he goes, he leaves behind a trail of players that don't like him, uh, a trail of injuries along the offensive line, uh, and it's and just like a, a general trail of of not having any success either. Like uh, I believe with Tennessee, sure he had a great running attack, but. He also had one of the best running backs in the league. Uh, but as far as pass protection, it was near the worst. So, there's it, it, it a lot there to be desired. So, if you put both these hires next to each other, it's just a pile of why. Why? I mean, at least with Hackett, it's bait. But why, why Cart? I The the only thing that makes sense and really the only thing that uh, I think is kind of glaring is the fact that he is good good friends with uh, Sala from their days uh, in Seattle. Uh, So there's definitely that history there. And we know that Sala loves uh, the guys from his past. He brings them back uh, and puts them in important positions uh, every single year that he's been here. So it's, it's a constant and something that I hope changes in the near future. Uh, if not, it will probably be him that's changing. So it, this, is, this is where we start with these hires. Hackett,
0: Carter, that's where it all started to go wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to bring the right coaches in for the job. If you were going to fire two coaches the season before that we both agreed deserved to be let go, and deserve to be replaced and, and improved upon, hopefully, and Michael Florida, offensive coordinator and John Benton as the offensive line coach, you let those two guys go and you replace them with two guys who were even worse. And that's the misstep. You would mention the nepotism with Salah. Um, that's been uh, an issue that we've seen beyond just this season where seemingly every coach that Salah has had on his staff outside of, I believe Rob Calabrese and Brant Boyer were people that he had worked with before coming to the Jets and one way, shape or form either over his time in Seattle, time in Jacksonville, time in Houston, when he was really first starting out as a coach, uh, San Francisco, anything of the sort, even the players that they've brought in, a handful of players have been people familiar with places Robert Sala has been maybe not crossover specifically with him but in some way shape or form familiar Quincy Williams as a waiver wire pickup was somebody that Sala scouted um, when he was with San Francisco I believe at the time and really loved his tape wanted to have him on the team didn't get an opportunity to make it happen and he goes to Jacksonville where I believe at this time uh, Gus Bradley was still the head coach and they were running the same sort of Seattle defense that Sala had grew up in under Pete Carroll in Seattle. And knowing guys like Dan Quinn, all of that sort of scheme, another connection for Sala to bring in. Keith Carter did not have a good reputation, as you said, where his players vehemently uh, in Tennessee, uh, guys like Taylor Lewan, very outspoken about how they did not like Keith Carter and felt like they were overworked to the point of potentially injuring themselves. and. The results, like you mentioned, besides Derrick Henry being Derrick Henry and an alien, their offensive line wasn't putting out very much to be proud of. Nathaniel Hackett, there's no excuse. I mean, you you saw Denver's offense be horrible and in kind of a, uh, I don't know if poetic is the right word, maybe ironic twist of fate. The Broncos defense was awesome that year. Their defense was one of the best units in the league, period. And the Denver offense is what held them back, very similar to how we saw with the Jets this season. The only logical connection you can make to why you hire Nathaniel Hackett is you're trying to appease Aaron Rodgers. And the only logical connection to make to why you hire Keith Carter is Robert Sala is familiar with him and has a relationship with him from the past. Those two constants are what really ends up ruining the season for the Jets. I think appeasing Aaron Rodgers more so than anything else, because there's a difference. And let me be very clear about this. There's a difference between improving the team around Aaron Rodgers and appeasing Aaron Rodgers. Giving Rodgers what he wants, regardless of whether it may be beneficial at the end of the day, is very much different. Then working the roster around things that he may think are a good fit that actually end up improving the team as a whole. Uh, and that brings us to the next date on this timeline: signing Alan Lazard in free agency to the biggest wide receiver deal of the year in free agency this past offseason. $44 million over about four years when Guys like Jacoby Myers, who ended up going to Las Vegas, was a solid underused player in New England, had a solid year this year. DeAndre Hopkins towards uh, getting up there in age, sure, but had over 1,000 yards for Tennessee this year. Somebody that definitely outperformed what I thought they were capable of at this age. Um, even still, made significantly less money than Lazard is going to make in total. And you have a guy now in Alan Lazard that had Wearing issues well before he was a jet in green bay had issues with drops had some strength as a blocker for sure but wasn't much of a separator um really had to win on contested catches and back shoulder fades and adjustments and that chemistry with aaron Rodgers wasn't the type of guy that's going to go out there and create a bunch for himself and be able to get open consistently you get to the season you don't have aaron Rodgers. And you have Alan Lazard, who's still dropping passes, who still can't create any separation, who's even struggling as a run blocker now, and gets to the point where the coaching staff feels that it is more important for undrafted free agent players and rookies like Jason Brownlee and Xavier Gibson to see the field more than Alan Lazard. Do you know, Matt, that um, I'd have to go back and double check this, but Lazard was a healthy scratch for three games this season? Uh, that doesn't surprise me at all.
1: Uh, I thought it was actually more. I, I, I don't think I remember seeing him at all
0: in the last like, it might have five been games. It, it certainly might have been more, but I know there was a period of time when it was supposedly injury related. And oh, okay. But there was a couple of games where he got benched in the middle of the year. Uh, and Salah outright said that he was benched for a game and they started Jason Brownlee over him. And then he came back for a couple of games, didn't really do much, and was a healthy scratch, I believe, the last two to round out the season. And that's your $44 million wide receiver in free agency six, nine months earlier, is now a guy that's a healthy scratch a year later, all because the quarterback that he was familiar with isn't there anymore. That, that to me, is a, a, a massive, massive misstep in player evaluation it's a massive misstep in team fit and need for what this offense needed we talked about it ad nauseum for months they didn't need a possession receiver at the time they still had Corey Davis which subsequently we saw what happened there something that could not have been controlled but either way they needed somebody else that could create separation and threaten defenses to stop defenses from focusing on Garrett Wilson so much And they went and got the exact opposite in Alan Lazard, which is a guy that doesn't scare defenses and wins on contested catches and doesn't get open and really kind of has to be the player that makes an adjustment and has great chemistry with their quarterback and kind of makes a play when there isn't one to be had, but isn't going to be threatening you in any sense like a Garrett Wilson on the other side. This to me, besides hiring Hackett, is the biggest, biggest mistake of the offseason in total because you spent all this money on Alan Lazard that you could have spent on a top tackle. Three top tackles went to different teams in free agency the same year, and Juwan Taylor, Orlando Brown. Um, oh, good, good grief, I'm forgetting uh, the last one. Let me pull it back up. Juwan Taylor, Orlando Brown, and there was another really big free agent oh. tackle deal. Oh, here And McGlinchey in Denver, McGlinchey, yes. Yeah. And Mike McGlinchey going from San Fran to Denver. All of those players made top-of-the-market money. And that was money the Jets couldn't afford to spend because they spent it on Alan Lazard. You then go into the draft desperately needing an offensive tackle because you didn't sign one in free agency. You have no idea what Mikay Beckton is going to look like coming off of his two seasons of injury. You know Dwayne Brown is old and hurt. You've seen sparring, res- uh, shaky results from Max Mitchell. And what else do you have in terms of offensive tackles when? you're supposedly bringing in or hoping to bring in Aaron Rodgers and want a 40-year-old, 39-year-old, however old he is Aaron Rodgers, to be upright and not on the ground. You you set yourself up for failure. You go to the draft, you get jumped by Pittsburgh for Broderick Jones, you get backed into taking a defensive end in the first round. And because you can't don't really need to take another receiver. You paid Alan Lazard $44 million. So you better hope that he goes out and wins and you're not moving Garrett Wilson a- and hurting his playing time. So you got to make that money to Lazard worth it. You can't take a receiver in the first round. You got to take a defensive end and that defensive end, even though he might end up growing into a really good player. And I don't think it's an indictment on him specifically played 20% of snaps this year because it was a log jam position. And and I just, I, I want to know how you feel about this, Matt, but. Uh, I really really think that that signing Wazard to the to the money that they signed him primarily because like you said for Hackett he was bait for Aaron Rodgers is again not working to improve the team it's working to appease Rodgers and, and I think that we saw the results of trying to appease Rodgers when Rodgers isn't there to be appeased yeah uh it it's not a plan really it's it's
1: a prayer it's a it's It's kind of just throwing something out there and hoping that you get a bite. And they did. They got the bite. They got the fish that they were looking for. They got Rodgers. Congratulations. Uh, But then it seems like they stopped thinking of anything past that point. Like Rodgers would solve all problems. Like Rodgers would solve our offensive line woes. It seems like there was no plan there. Uh, Like you said, he, he had... Brown, who has just been dealing with injuries uh, since he's gotten here, and he's not reliable. He was not even healthy to start the year. So, automatically, that says, okay, I don't have a left tackle. Alright, well, what about right tackle? Uh, well, we have Max Mitchell, who's just coming off of a blood clots, and uh, Turner, who uh, just had a meh year in Denver, uh, and Looking pretty met in, uh, in camp as well. Uh, let's just have them, you know, battle it out. And then you have Beckton, who hasn't played in, in two years, uh, working his way back into football shape. Uh, you got a lot of guys here that just don't look good. Uh, and they knew that they weren't looking good during camp. Like this, it wasn't a secret that they weren't looking good. Uh, so this is something that was very apparent. And probably something that should have been very predictable. I think everybody kind of wanted us to do a lot more when it came to tackle. And the fact that we didn't is just some cruel miscalculation. I, I hope it's a miscalculation rather than intentional. Because it, 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 it has to be one or the other. It's either gross incompetence or intentionally sabotaging. Because there's really no other way to kind of explain it. it, it it's, it's not how you build a successful team. Uh, I know a lot of people held out hope like, oh, you know, once they're all healthy, uh, it'll all look good. They still have AVT who hasn't been able to stay healthy for an entire season uh, who can play tackle. Okay, uh, that's your hope. <laughs> We're putting a lot of hopes on the back of people that aren't reliable. And that is a mistake that can't be made again. Uh, but who, we don't really have a choice but trusting the people that are there right now to, to not make that mistake again. And it's very hard to, to throw any trust behind that. Uh, it it's just was a string of bad decisions personnel-wise. And yeah, it all starts with that Lazard uh, uh, signing. Just throwing that big money at a big guy uh, who's not even really that good at contested catches. (laughs) I'm looking back at his contested catch uh, percentage, and he he doesn't even break 40% at any time uh, in in his past. Uh, And then you go to his drop. That was something that was very predictable. (laughs) He's had drop percentages close to that of tight ends. In fact, there's a lot of tight ends that have better drop percentages than him. Uh, So it's... It was a bad move. It was an ill-conceived move. It was a move that had very little upside. Uh, and this is the result. And uh, then we can go even further if we want. It, uh, if, and go to Carter, uh, the sack uh, uh, and the backup quarterback role. And the Cook signing. All these, these moves, or lack thereof, especially with quarterback, it's just again poor team building it's you, you, you even kind of make the the idea very known like oh we want to give Zach this red shirt ear but then they put him directly in the path of not having that red shirt ear so everything's kind of contradictory and points back to what i just said is this intentional or is this just gross incompetence and then you have cook you have all these holes that are still very apparent. Now we're in camp by the time that Cook is signed. So we see it's in full plain view of what needs to be fixed. And running back wasn't one of them. (laughs) It was not even close to the top of the list of of problem areas. Uh, it, It was really all out of concern of will Hall be good? And they made this whole thing about Hall being ready. They had a whole documentary about him getting ready. So it, it, they, I feel like they had a better idea than most uh, about how ready Hall would have been. And they still wasted valuable cap space on Cook. A guy that we kind of already knew was uh, kind of past the prime. Of his career. Uh, a guy that we knew kind of wouldn't really thrive in a system like ours where we need to feed him the ball a lot, a lot just to see any kind of production to make it seem worth it. And to put him next to a guy like Hall who we know is going to be our bell cow kind of kind of uh, again sabotages him. So Again, more moves that just don't make sense. And it's just one after the other, and they stack on top of each other to make a nice leaning tower of stuff.
0: Yeah. No, the Cook move never made sense. And we said that before the signing, and we said that after the signing, and we said that all season. Uh, That it wasn't an area that they needed to address. They needed to add more to the running back room at the start of the offseason and find someone that could be a decent spell to Brees Hall. And they did that. They drafted Izzy Abanaconda in the sixth round. And that we were both in agreement that this is the perfect idea, the perfect guy to fill in and be your Brees Hall light when Brees needs a breather that you don't have to change your offense for that still has that explosion that can still hit a crease to the outside and make a big play. And you don't have to have defenses going, Okay, we've been chasing Brees Hall around for three and a half quarters. Now we're tired. Here's a fresh legs Abanaconda that runs low four threes, if not high four twos and give him the ball to have fun chasing him. That was the move. They did it. And could you make the argument that you could have improved at third down back uh, over Michael Carter in the start? Sure. But Michael Carter was a beloved player in the locker room. Someone that was very highly respected. Someone that was a leader on their team that still had somewhat of a role in terms of being part of that running back group and, and making some plays happen when he had his number called. Would you? Could have made the argument you could have kept Ty Johnson and not have him let go and see where he could have stood in because he really improved his pass protection in the year before and saw every time seemingly that Ty Johnson got a chance to get a bulk load of the carries, made a lot happen with it. Could have kept him. Sure. All of those moves would have been a lot cheaper than giving Dalvin Cook $7 million. But you give Dalvin Cook $7 million in August and immediately he's unproductive. Immediately. It's it's evident how much better someone like a Brees Hall is, and having Brees on his pitch count to start the year, taking away his opportunities to kind of be that cook role and get the bulk load of shares and get the the handful of touches and say, okay, eventually you're going to break one. It really, really hurt this offense on top of. Everything else that you mentioned, not paying attention to tackle throughout the year, going into the season, going into the offseason, and going, OK. Dwayne Brown's not healthy. We don't know if Makai Beckton's going to be healthy. Max Mitchell has blood clots. Billy Turner is not been good, wasn't good before, and hasn't been able to stay healthy either. We'll be fine. And that'll th- th- we'll be fine. We'll draft Carter Warren in the fourth <laughs> round, I believe, who was also injured the year before, and coming. Well, they off also said
1: that they weren't expecting him to play.
0: Right, because he was injured. And, Another guy and that they thought was going to have a red shirt year. <laughs> and then he gets thrust into the action, and that's supposed to be your answer. Oh, gross miscalculation, like you said. And some of these moves, it's, oh, we have to appease Aaron Rodgers. Some of these moves are just bad moves. And that it's just a, a front office staff not doing their jobs properly. And I think that, That Those fall into that category. Another one that falls into that category is not going after and finding a decent stopgap replacement number two quarterback after Rodgers went down. Because you could have still had your plan of giving Zach the redshirt year. And personally, I don't know how you feel about this, Matt. I don't hate the decision to have Zach be the quarterback two going into the year. Because he's going to get to have to be actively game planning every week to prepare like he is a starter in the event that he has to come in for any amount of time. And in your logical, perfect ideal world in the offseason, you're thinking, okay, if Rogers has to miss a game or two, this'll be good opportunity for Zach to come in and get some reps. And he's been learning under him and seeing, you know, what he's done throughout the year, and we'll be able to hold things over with Zach for that couple of of stretch of games or whatever it might be that he has to play. It's a completely different story when he's got to be your starter for the rest of the season after four plays. And you could logically, if you're the Jets, never expect that to have been the outcome. And so I don't hold a lot of ill will towards they didn't get the quarterback in the offseason, but they could have gotten one right after the injury. And that's kind of the the real misstep for me, is after Rodgers goes down, why don't you start making calls? Why don't you try and trade for someone like a Gardner Minshew, who is the Colts in the playoffs or had the Colts uh, about to be in the playoffs, I believe Um, goes and takes over for Anthony Richardson and keeps their team afloat. You see a guy like Joe Flacco, who's been like the fourth quarterback the Browns have started this year. And the Browns are in the playoffs come in, make a bunch of big plays, a guy the jets had on their team that they could have kept that could have been quarterback three, for all intents and purposes. And then if Rodgers goes down for that long, you move Flacco up into that role and you put Zach underneath him as the quarterback too. There's other options they could have done, but as soon as they knew Rodgers was done, it was, okay, Zach, you're up. And this is going to be your team and we're going to live and die with you and we're going to let you ride and and we have faith in you. You know this offense, you've learned, we've seen the improvement. This is going to be your show. You do that and. You go right into, in our opinion, the next date on this timeline. That's the, uh, the real downfall. You do all of that. You don't give Zach the veteran to replace him and let him stay in that quarterback two role. You say you have all the faith in the world in him. You, you say the team is behind him. You say you believe he gives you the best chance to win, as we heard Robert Salas say over and over and over. And then you bench him for Tim Boyle after week 11. What message does that send? What message does that send to the rest of the team? What message does that send to the fan base? There was a large portion of the fan base that wanted Zach benched because they were used to saying he was the problem. They were used to, to throwing all of the issues on him and saying it's all his fault. In reality, it was the offensive line being porous and, and a disaster. Nathaniel Hackett's play calling. Alan Lazard not getting open and making Garrett Wilson the only one who even kind of could get open. And Zach Wilson doing the best he could, still making mistakes, sure. Still not being perfect by any means, sure. But doing the best he could, given the circumstance. And I think there was points in this year, unequivocally, that we saw Zach Wilson play some of the best football he's played as a Jet. And that's undeniable to say that I, I feel there were times this year, specifically the Kansas City game, the Houston game later in the season after he came back from an injury, And or it came back from that benching. Those games showed the improvement, showed that there was a reason to say, okay, he can be the quarterback too going into the season. But if you're going to take away all the confidence in him, if you're going to bench him for somebody in Tim Boyle who never had a shot to be any better and everybody knew that from the start, who was lucky to even be on a roster at all and would probably be a practice squad player for most other teams. You take away the consistency of your messaging You make the locker room confused. It becomes clear, at least to myself and a lot of other people that we've talked to, Matt, that you make this move because, you know, you can't fire Nathaniel Hackett and you have to do something to show the fan base. We're trying to improve and our offense has been terrible for the whole season and we know it and and we're going to try and do something different to improve it. So we're going to bench the quarterback because that's been the issue and that's what you've wanted for two years beforehand. We can't fire the offensive coordinator. Rodgers will be mad. So we have to do the next best thing. And then their offense got worse. I just think it's, it's Salah showing his weakness and his, his, his weakness to the media and his weakness to the fan base to cave and say, okay, fine, we'll make a change and then have the results be even worse and go right back against this change two weeks later. So,
1: I feel like, hey, if you're going to be weak and cave to the fans and the media, why not do it in a productive manner? Hey, we're putting a lot of pressure on you to fire Hackett, to fire Keith Carter, to do some kind of switch-up in the coaching staff Uh, in that realm. Why not go that route? Or how about offensive line? There's a lot of mistakes being made on the offensive line. Yeah, there's a lot of injuries, but sure. The, but also nobody's being held accountable well you do that show something there there's so many places other than quarterback that they could have looked to to make an example to find a spark to do some kind of change that to appease the 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 birds chirping it, it, it but doing what they did just made no sense and it made no sense to him i feel like he even uh, made it very clear that it wasn't Zach, and that it's not him. That that's not the problem. So then, to go against that move, it, it just shows pure weakness. Just like you said, uh, it, it, and it just doesn't make sense. It, it's like I, if we were to look back to when Salah was hired, or even the the in the preseason. And the energy that he has, I don't think anybody could ever say, oh, Sal is a weak coach, uh, that people aren't, shouldn't take him seriously. Uh, but I think that's all we can say at this point, because he hasn't shown any hint of a uh, reason for us to take him seriously, whether it's in his uh, personnel hires, whether it's in his ability to uh, hold people accountable. Or whether it's to, you know, make changes when changes need to be made. He hasn't shown that he can really do
0: any of these things. Uh, and it's just a, just a big disappointment, really. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and it's uncharacteristic. I mean, that week 11 in, at Buffalo was Zach Wilson's last game before getting benched for Tim Boyle. Uh, the Jets lost 32 to 6. Offense couldn't do a, a thing all night. And Buffalo's offense caught a spark later in the game, was able to score some points defense did all they could, but really wasn't much they could do, Uh, and by the end of the game, they were so tired, Bills were running down their throats, Uh, and literally, the Jets could not stop them. They got overpowered. After that game, Michael Clemens, defensive lineman, gets in a literal fight with Deion Dawkins, the Bills' offensive tackle, in the tunnel, leaving the game, and the only accountability from that lack of control was Zach Wilson getting benched. (laughs) Clemens didn't even get fined. As far as I'm aware, I, I, I never saw anything saying the team find him. I never saw that. anything saying wasn't benched, wasn't made inactive the next week. Didn't what? Nothing. No accountability whatsoever. You're, you're, one of your players is in an opposing stadium and after a three touchdown loss goes and starts a fight in the tunnel, leaving the game with a player from an opposing team in front of the media and everybody else. And it gets blown up and sent all over NFL, Twitter and media and ESPN and the whole nine. And the only bit of accountability from that game is you bench the quarterback. <laughs> Th- that's the, the weakness because Salah it's, it's caving to, the the fan base and the media calling for you to do anything. And it's caving to your players and being so much of a player's coach that you won't hold them accountable when you need to. Because Michael Clemens should have been fined at least for, for that incident, if not bench to the next week, that's that is not the message that you need to be sending to your team, that it's okay to do this uh, game against Cleveland. Second to last game of the year. This season, Michael Clemens, again, videoed on the sidelines telling Browns fans to F off. One by one, pointing them out and yelling at him. Now, is that as bad as fighting somebody in the tunnel? I don't know. But this is now a second instance of the guy making waves on social media. And if you're Robert Sala, making you look bad as a head coach and look like you don't have control of your locker room. And what happens after that? Sala supports him. (laughs) Sala supports him. Sala sits there and says that, you know, he's a different player on the field. His exact quote was... Honestly, and I mean this wholeheartedly, he'd be one of the first person I'd call to watch my kids if I needed someone to watch them. He's very thoughtful, responsible, all of that. All of that can be true. That doesn't mean that the guy doesn't need to be held accountable for making a mistake in that moment. And that just because they're a good guy off the field and just because you know them and know how hard they work doesn't mean that they don't deserve to be held accountable at all. Again, so. the only the only bit of accountability we saw this season was Zach Wilson getting benched. I, I it, it It drives me crazy.
1: Yeah, it, it makes no sense. And you know what, if Sala's not going to hold them responsible and accountable for their actions, uh, who's going to hold Salah accountable? Then that goes up to, to J.D. I think J.D. should be looking at what's going on and seeing how this is also a reflection on him. These are players that he brought in. This is his coach that's under him. Right, I, I'm, I'm. I i am i do not think I'm yeah. wrong in that they, they don't both, uh, uh, uh you know, report to Woody. I think Sala reports directly to JD. Yeah. So Sala reports to JD. That's correct. So it all flows up this crap, and it's it's getting everybody dirty, and then it's, the buck stops at Woody, and Woody, you know, he, for all his faults, uh, being. You know, rash and, and not like thinking things through is probably not one of them. Like he doesn't, he won't, he doesn't rush to do things. No. So, I. But he's also the kind of guy that would go out and be like, "I want Rodgers. I want you to do everything you can to get Rodgers. I want you to get Tim Tebow. I want you to do all these these moves to make me happy." Does this make him happy? What's going on? would happen this year. I don't know how it does. So, uh, something's up. Like, there must have been some kind of brain trust at some point being like, we're all good, right? Like, yeah, okay. all right. we'll just make believe this year didn't happen, and next year, you know, we'll hit the ground running, and uh, nobody will even remember 2023. And it's just not realistic. And I hope that us fans, also hold them all accountable. Even if there is a little success with Rodgers next year. Because there needs to be some accountability somewhere. And if it's not
0: going to be on their end, it should be on ours. Yeah, Uh, I mean, it it really does seem like this team as a whole just completely and totally quit the second Rodgers got hurt from the top down. You didn't see the, the rush to try and find the stopgap backup quarterback to come in and and not have Zach Wilson be your starter to try and keep your season afloat. You make no moves at the trade deadline to try and spark anything, bring in any help on the offensive line, bring in any help at receiver, anything whatsoever. You don't ship off any olding, old aging assets that aren't any of use to you anymore to try and get any amount of ammo back for the next coming season. You just wash on the trade deadline. You you even you're you're three and three at the bye week. You played the Buffalo Bills, the Dallas Cowboys, New England Patriots, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Denver Broncos, and the Philadelphia Eagles, and you're three and three at the bye week, and you still don't care. And there still isn't the we can still win this. We can still make some noise. Our defense is still great. We still have some pieces. None of that. It was like the the energy and the desire to improve just got sucked out of this team. The second Rogers went down and what we talked about off air was that Zach Wilson benching in week 11 was really the point of no return. That's when the jets died. At least in our opinion, trade deadline was over. Couldn't make any more moves too late to bring in another quarterback off the street. The ones that you're going to be left with to bring in are guys like Trevor Simeon. And, and it's not going to be doing too much to help you. You can't, it's way past the off season to be looking to add any moves that are now affecting you any further. You're stuck with Alan Lazard, who's being benched, and what more can you do? You're down to your 12th, 13th, 14th starting offensive lineman. Your quarterback situation is is awful. You can't fire your offensive coordinator. You're at the point of no return, and you just have to let the rest of the season play as it is. It's amazing that they won three games the rest of the year (laughs) after that point. That's the, the really impressive thing. Uh, they have an incredible game against the Houston Texans. Zach Wilson comes back from his benching, plays the best football game of his career as a New York Jet. They, get, they start blowing out the Commanders in the first half of the year, or first half of the, that game, almost come back and lose and, and somehow find a way to, to squeeze out a win. And then this past week uh, against the New England Patriots to end the season in a blizzard. Brees Hall takes over. The Patriots offense can't do anything and the Jets win 17-3. to It's amazing that they even got that. And it it really is just a, 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 a... It's a travesty to then now go and get to the final date on our timeline, which is this past Black Monday, and see not a single coach let go of their jobs, let alone Robert Sala at the top. To see Nathaniel Hackett still here, to see Keith Carter still here, to see Rob Calabrese for everything that we know still here to see Todd Downing still here to see anybody on this team, on this offensive coaching staff still a part of this team and to see no changes being made. And after the jets quite literally fielded a worse offense than the Adam Gase jets this past year, nobody is being held accountable and nobody is going to be in position to lose their jobs because as we've seen since January of last year, Matt, they believe Aaron Rodgers cures all. And as long as Aaron Rodgers is there under center and healthy, they will be fine. And if he's not, then what's the point? That's that's a really sad way to, to, to go out uh, if you're Joe Douglas and Robert Sala from where they started a handful of years ago, wanting to build things from the ground up, wanting to build a consistent winner, wanting to win through the draft, wanting to bring in the type of culture, uh, players that had that sort of mindset and culture that really fit what they were looking for. The guys that were dedicated, all about football, great teammates, wanted to win, cared about the team more than themselves. And they did a really good job of that for a few years. And you get to this season, and it's like all of that gets thrown out the window because we got to make Aaron Rodgers happy. And, and it's, it's sad.
1: You know, I, while we were talking about this, uh, I had a thought, and maybe an unpopular uh, position to take right now if you look around the league and all the firings that have gone on, there's a lot. I think there's something like 15 or 17 teams that are looking for GMs or, or, or head coaches. Uh, that's a lot. I would actually kind of hate <laughs> to be among that, to be in that thresher of, of teams looking for the top talent because it, it, it I don't think we would be in a favorable position to really land anybody that we really want. Uh, So maybe that's a blessing in disguise that this isn't the year that we cut bait because we would probably be in a worse position. We'd probably have to settle for the Adam Gases of the world for our next head coach and uh, who knows for our GM. So maybe, maybe it's better that it worked out this way.
0: Uh, I don't think you're totally wrong, to be honest. Uh, This is a a wild hiring cycle. This has been the most movement we've seen in a handful of years uh, in terms of top positions, head coaching jobs, GM jobs, uh, throughout the like, uh, front office jobs, uh, and all things of that nature. It it really is going to be a a wild west, and the best candidates are going to be hot commodities, and they're going to have a lot of suitors. So it might have been difficult. That said, does that mean you don't try? And does that mean that there's if you're Robert Sala building your staff that you wholeheartedly believe that even with the competition, that there is nobody on this planet that you could find to be a better offensive coordinator for you than Nathaniel Hackett in the year of our Lord, 2024. (laughs) That's a that's a mistake. I'm sorry.
1: Because, yeah, even if there are a lot of vacancies There's still a lot of talent out there. that I, At this point, I don't mind going into the college ranks. I was just going to say, look to the college ranks. The college ranks at least have a lot of creativity there, whereas the NFL has a lot of tired minds doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, There are some bright spots, uh, but I feel like they're few and far between. Uh, But there are, are options out there. And yeah, like you said, is just because it would be hard, does that mean that it's not worth doing? No. You gotta do it right. Always do it right. And what is right right now is moving on from all of these guys because none have
0: demonstrated that they are worth keeping. No, but we already know they're coming back. Yep. And, and it was it. very quick that we heard that. There was no, didn't seem like there was much time of contemplation. To, to sit there and think, or even maybe scour the potential market of what might be available. It was that no, we're good. We're keeping the guys we got. So going forward. Now we, we reset this timeline for 2024. Here we are in January of 2024. Coaching staff is being intact. We'll see if that's the first date on our timeline of stuff next season. When we get to the end of next year and do this all over again, because it, it certainly isn't an inspiring start.
1: No, it is not. Uh, and yeah, there's really no, you know, bright spot other than Rogers to really kind of, you know, point us in a direction of any kind of hope. It's, I don't know, it's kind of like just throwing a sheet over our heads and telling us that everything's okay.
0: Yeah, Rogers will make it okay. That's, that's what it is. That's what we've heard. Well, moving right along, timeline has been set. We are officially on to 2024. Coaching staff is intact. Next part of that process is going to be figuring out what players stay, what players go, who is going to be on this team that is already part of this team next year, who might be finding a new uh, home for themselves before we get to the free agency and finding other new outside players to bring into this team. Let's talk about the guys we have, like we did a few weeks ago, moving right along. Should we keep, should they stay or should they go Matt, let's talk to, I'm going to toss it to you. The biggest name, I think, that we have talked about in this conversation, Bryce Huff, the defensive end, 10-sack season, most since John Abraham, and I believe 2003 for the New York Jets, um, undrafted free agent player from a handful of years ago, really seen his ascension grow into one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, uh, one of the best defensive, defensive ends in the NFL, really. Overall, he's going to get paid by somebody, whether it's the Jets or somebody else, so should the Jets keep him, one, and two, could they even try? Um, so I'm going to make two
1: cases, the case to keep him and the case to, to let him go. Um, so I'll start with, uh, with letting him go. As we've mentioned, there's so many issues with our offense and the assets that we would need to put out there for, uh, for keeping Huff would be a lot. It would cost a pretty penny to to bring him back. He's already said he is not going to give any kind of hometown discount to us. He wants to get paid, and he will get paid. Uh, it's just a matter of who. So if you factor in the all the assets that it would take to bring him back, and then look at all the the holes that we have on offense, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to to really bring him back. It. it it makes a lot more sense to really divert those assets to where we need it most. And we have a good defense without Huff. I, I am confident of that. I don't think that our pass rush will be as good, but maybe we don't know. We don't know what we'll get from McDonald. We don't know if uh, JJ takes another step. Uh, Franklin Myers has been consistently good uh, throughout, throughout his time here. So I'm not really worried about him. Maybe Clemens takes a, another step. Uh, and we still have uh, Q. So I'm, I, we'll still have a formidable uh, pass rush. Enough to where I would say, if we lose Huff, we'll be okay. And then it's just a matter of, all right, well, what, what could we get for him? If we just let him go, I think the most we'll get is a third round uh, comp pick in 2025. So we don't even get anything this year. So that means that the, real, the only real option, if we want to really have a return on investment right now, would be to tag and trade him. Uh, I could see that happening. I think the, the tag number is around $20 million, Um, which I think if we were to maybe sign him is maybe a couple million dollars more than probably what it would cost to, to bring him back. I think he would want something somewhere in the range of 14 to $17 million. Uh, So even if we get stuck with the tag, uh, I think it's close to where we uh, would, would kind of want to sign him. Uh, and I think that there would be teams willing to take him on and to give him the, that number that he wants. Uh, so yes, a tag and trade would probably be the, the most efe- efficient way of, of dealing with the situation if we were to lose him. Now, the case to keep him, well, the case to keep him is who he is and what he's done uh, and how he's grown as a player and it's it's kind of, it's also uh, in a, it's, it's also a case for JD as well because Huff is one of his success stories and letting his successes walk out the door doesn't look good on him So, I could see him making the case just for himself with making the case for keeping him. And if we're looking at 2024 as the year, the year that we need to go all in on, you know, money be damned, we need to do whatever it takes, then that means bringing every horse into our stable that we can, and Huff is a mighty, mighty fine horse to bring in the a guy that we know that we can lean on to be a terror on the edge. So I, if I want to make a run for a Super Bowl, I want as much talent as possible. And that means keeping Huff.
0: Yeah, that's the conundrum. Um, he would be a, a vital, vital piece to this team. If I think there was any way the jets could do it. And that's kind of the, the harsh reality that, that we all need to accept here. Um, Bryce Huff was off this team the second they drafted Will McDonald. It, it, the writing was on the wall from there because we saw this ascension from Huff last season. We've seen it for a couple of years now. We've seen uh, this guy really, really continue to grow and get better and better. And I'll never forget Matt in one of our earliest, uh, earliest episodes after the Titans game and Robert Sala's first ever win as a head coach when Bryce Huff had a game sealing sack to end that game. I believe he had two. Um, or a sack and a half or close to two throughout the game overall that I had made the comparison in terms of his biomechanics and his ability to dip and round a corner at full speed that he looked like Dwight Freeney. And at the time, I knew it was a lot, and I knew it was really, really high praise. But I, I couldn't believe what my eyes were seeing, and I couldn't get that image of Dwight Freeney rounding corners out of my head when I would watch Huff Rush. And we've just seen him continue to grow and grow and grow and hone that talent and become a dangerous edge threat that the whole league has to respect. Like somebody like a Dwight Greeny hasn't had the chance to be that full time player yet. I think that's what he's really waiting for as well. Um, But Beyond just the payday. I think he's really looking for that opportunity to be a full time starter and get the bulk load of of snaps. And if he's going to be making that money to, to make it worth it for whatever team he's on by playing a good bit of defensive snaps. But for the jets in particular, they can't offer that to him. They rotate their defensive line too much. He's going to get eventually pigeonholed into that role with the pass rush specialist, where he's very, very good and can still make his impact felt, as we've seen, but it's not going to be that full-time starter role that he's necessarily looking for beyond that. He's going to be too expensive. If you look at the defensive end contracts throughout the league, the, if he were to be playing on the franchise tag, $20 million a year, that would have him tied with Von Miller for the seventh highest uh, per year average in terms of defensive end contracts in the NFL. Right after Von Miller are guys like Draymond Jones, Eric Armstead, and Emmanuel Agba, who are all making between sixteen point three to $17.1 million. I think Bryce Huff outgains them. I think Bryce Huff makes an argument to say, I deserve more money than Draymond Jones. I deserve more money than Eric Armstead. I deserve more money than Emmanuel Agba. I can be that the talent I have as a rusher makes me that valuable. I think he's going to get at least 18. And so the difference, in my opinion of can you fit it under the cap of 20 million for a franchise tag in a trade versus 18.5 to 19 on the open market. If you're another team looking at this from the outside, I think a tag and trade is the most likely scenario. And I think it makes the most sense for everybody involved because you're going to have a team that's going to get Huff at $20 million a year for this next year. That's going to be pretty much market value for for what they would be expecting to be paying for a long-term contract. They get the, they don't have to play the bidding war where they have to outbid somebody else. And maybe Huff sniffs 21, 22 million even at a per year average on a shorter deal, maybe. And you get outbid by another team and you have to drive your own price up. You send a draft pick where if you look at how trades for pass rushers have gone, you're basically spending the second round, third round, whatever pick it might be that you would send in a tag and trade. That's the pick that you're drafting this player with. And you're just drafting them ahead of time and getting a guy that, you know, is already set and established. And if you need a defensive end and you're thinking of drafting one anyway, why not go and get somebody like a Bryce Huff that you know is going to be good? You can afford it. The Jets aren't going to have the money. You're going to have to either cut JFM to fit it. You're going to have Will McDonald. If Bryce Huff does stay, Will McDonald's playing time is going to continue to be reduced. And you're going to have invested a top 15 pick in a player that isn't going to be a full-time player for you. You're going to have to find room to pay Jermaine Johnson at some point in the future. That's going to cut into the money you can afford to pay Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson at the same time. You and you owe still owe Aaron Rodgers a lot of money this next season too. It's not you already restructured that contract. It's not like you can sit there and go and and make magic happen out of nowhere. Plus, with all the void years that you've added on, guys like Carl Lawson and others, you're down money that way. And so, I just I don't see how they can afford it. And I would love to be wrong. Because I, if it was as simple as, do I want Bryce Huff on the Jets next year? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> there's, there's no reason why I wouldn't. But I, I just can't see how it's, how it's even a possibility for them to make this happen with how their roster is currently constructed. How they like to go about their business in terms of a defensive line rotation. The guys they already have under contract. The guys they already have uh, assets tied into and for the future. It, it just it doesn't make sense for either party. And that's sad to say, because I wish it did. And I wish things could be different. Even if Will McDonald continues to grow and become a great player, that's awesome. Good for the Jets. But I wish they could have just drafted Zay flowers and paid Bryce Huff. And I feel like they'd be in a better situation than they are now, but good for Bryce Huff. He's going to go make a ton of money somewhere else. And hopefully the Jets can tag him first and get a second round pick back in ammo uh, and kind of recoup the, the, price they paid for Aaron Rodgers back in that trade, get a good draft pick out of it more than they would in a comp pick the year after, I think that's best case scenario to hope for if you're the Jets. I think so as well.
1: Uh, Wait, I'm sorry. You may have just said this. I I was getting ready my point, but
0: uh, what what do you think that we could get back for him? I think at least a second. I think if Montez gets a second round pick, yeah, I think a second. I could see I could see a package of maybe like a three and a five. Um, I don't think it'll be less than a third premium pass rush talent is, is valuable. And for a guy that you're willing to pay the franchise tag money for, and you're willing to then hopefully sign to a long-term extension because you're giving up that draft ammo to get him and don't want him to just be that $20 million for one year piece. Uh, I think that holds some weight, and I think if you're the Jets, you know that, and I think you can get at least a second round pick. I, I think a a a second round pick will be what the trade is for.
1: Okay, I could see that. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Like he wants to get paid, he, and to prove that he is one of the best pass rushers in the league. And just thinking about why of of what what, what people would trade for one of the best pass rushers in the league, I would say that it's probably worth more than a second. I think before last year, we put the, a second-round tender on him, right? So at that point, we valued him as a second-rounder. Uh, so I think he's only outperformed
0: that value. I would venture to say that he is worth a late first. And I think in terms of pure value, I think you're right. But I think the, the other side of that coin is if you're a team that's negotiating with the Jets you just and you don't want to pay that first-round pick, just wait. Because the Jets are either going to have to franchise and keep them and pay that money, or they're going to have to let them walk and then you can bid for them on the open market and you don't have to pay any draft pick. And you can set the deals of your own contract. And if you don't get them, you don't get them, but at least you didn't send a a pick for them. Uh, The Jets have kind of... That's the, the, the other half of this, is teams know the Jets have to get rid of them and teams know that he has value and the jets aren't going to want to just get rid of him for nothing but they know that if they don't offer what they want and that they don't cave to what the jets are are going to be asking for if they are asking for a late first round pick or a first round pick in general or something of that uh that nature that every other team can just sit there and go okay cool see you in march and just wait and and not have to worry about it so i'm that's where I think the second round pick gets it done. I think if Montez Sweat goes for a second, Bryce Huff goes for a second.
1: Hey, Montez Sweat's, what, 28? Uh, how, how old is Huff? Huff? Huff is pretty young still. He's only 26. Okay. Um, so yeah, you're, you're, still, you're getting Huff in, your, in his prime on, on the way up in his trajectory. Uh, I, I completely agree. Uh, either a late first or, or second round pick is what I would love to get back. Uh, and that would be very valuable to this year, considering we don't have one, the second-round pick, that is. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that's another reason why I think a second will get a duck, because then the Jets can get back in that round, and you're not going to have the gap. Uh, let me see if I have their draft picks up here completely. But they have quite a large gap um, between... 73? 10. So, I was going to say 10 right. and, like, 72. Yeah. where you have a, a very, very, very long, long gap in picks in a draft class that, at least right now, this is most likely to change as uh, ourselves and everybody else gets through the class and tape study and everything else seems kind of top-heavy right now. And so you want to try, and it's a year where you want your picks to be earlier, and having a bunch of late-round ammo might not be the best thing for you. So having a gap in picks from 10 to 72 is really not ideal. No, it does not. All right. Last guy we're going to talk about here and the should they stay or should they go before we wrap this one up a little less in depth of a conversation than somebody like a Bryce Huff, Jordan Whitehead starting safety the last couple of years signed as a free agent from Tampa Bay uh, two years ago has had an up and down career, has had moments of really, really good play, has had flash games of interceptions and making plays on the ball and has been a ferocious hitter when he lands his hits, but there's also been some downside. There's been a lot of missed tackles. There's been some lapses in coverage, giving up a lot of touchdowns this season and the season four. And at least in my opinion, Matt, I want to get your opinion on this as well. Not so much a player that is an absolute, we need to keep this guy. And he's such a valuable asset to the team that we can't afford to let him go. And he's going to get a raise for the two year, lower end prove it deal he signed a few years ago that is now set to expire he's outperformed that contract and we're going to keep him and give him an increase i don't necessarily think that's where jordan whitehead is and i don't necessarily think he's earned that and i think that we have somebody on this roster and ashton davis who's filled in and spot starts and um, backup duty special teams as well has been that third safety for them when they play their three safety looks that has really kind of ascended, knows this scheme already too. And I think from a financial standpoint, it makes a lot more sense to give Ashton Davis a prove it deal for one year and say, okay, we're going to re sign you. You get to be our starter for this next coming season and tell Jordan Whitehead to walk than it would be to give Jordan Whitehead top 10 safety money. Uh,
1: no, I completely agree. Yeah. Uh, Whitehead yeah he had four interceptions he's he's definitely flashed this year uh but he's also you know been plagued by a lot of the same things that plagued him last year uh poor tackling and uh making mistakes in coverage and they've led to a lot of touchdowns they've led to a lot of big plays uh and that's not something that's really conducive for our defense our defense is predicated on not giving up the big plays so keeping him is, is kind of counterproductive even with uh, if, even if you add in the big plays that he's had because those are few and far between in fact they're pretty much stacked into like one game pretty much uh, so everything outside of that one game was kind of you know a grab bag of meh uh, so it, it's not worth it just for the, that flash in the pan because that, even that is not conducive or is not a indicative of what he's done throughout his career. That, I think he's outperformed himself quite a bit uh, this year in terms of interceptions and pass breakups and such, uh, but it's just not worth it. And then, like you said, you got a guy like Davis, who's also a free agent, who's been with the team for a while, who's finally hitting his stride. Uh, I, Davis has been a guy that's, that's just been wildly inconsistent until this point, where it's like okay, we, we see exactly what the thought process was with Davis. Uh, he just you know isn't putting it together on a consistent basis. Uh, but now it seems like he's kind of you know found his groove. Um, so yeah, I a, a one year prove it year for deal for Davis is something I would uh, very much be on board for. Uh, but not just Davis. I think that this is, there's there should be a two pronged approach, uh, to addressing the safety spot. Uh, because I do like Davis as kind of a rotational guy. Uh, and if we're going to ro- rotate him with somebody, I would want to rotate him with the guy that we originally brought in this year to rotate in that spot. And that is Clark who uh, went on the injury reserve very early in the year. Um, but is also somebody that's immensely talented and very smart and just does everything the right way and doesn't put himself in a position to really get exposed. So uh, it's, it's definitely something I would look at in, in terms of who to bring back. It would be Davis and Clark, and who to let go would be Whitehead.
0: Yeah, I- I'm right there with you. Um... I would love to have Chuck Clark back. Uh, I think that would be a, a really wise move. I think somebody that you could get at somewhat of a discount coming off an injury, um, older player to start with. We just, you know, no one's seen him or had tape on him for a year, so he's not really fresh in people's minds. I think that's a really sneaky re-signing that you could make a, and get a lot of value out of it. And I think it's worth giving Ashton Davis a shot to start. We, I'd like to see what this guy can do in a full-time role. I'm not saying he's going to be amazing. I'm not saying that... Oh, there's you know they have this hidden gem just waiting in the wings, but his improvement has been undeniable. the The turnover production is undeniable. At this point, it's not luck. There's got to be something there uh, for the guy to just always be around the ball in the way that he is. Um, I, I think he's earned the right to get a chance to start and see how he can handle that that full starter role. And if it doesn't work out, then you find a new safety next year. But at least you're not pigeonholing yourself where let's give Jordan Whitehead all of this money and then that doesn't work out. And then you're on the hook for that money and you already don't have the money to spend in the future as is. So I'm just, I think it is the, even if at the end of the day, this next season, Ashton Davis ends up being a downgrade over Jordan Whitehead. I think for this next year in particular, the way this team is set up and what they have to prepare for and plan to, to pay down the line, I think it makes the most sense.
1: See, yeah, let's, Let's view this a a bit of team building compared to like let's say the tack how they address the tackle position. With Davis or or Clark, we see a vision. We see what they're capable of and we can apply it to our defense. Whereas we really did not know anything about what we would get out of our tackles and therefore why would they rely on that? So it, this would be the smart way to look at things. To have a plan, to have guys that you know what you're getting out of, uh, and have a backup just in case. Because plans, sure, don't work out, uh, but I would rather have a plan to begin with.
0: Yeah. yeah, and there's a difference between having a plan and having hope. And I think that's the, the key. The Jets hoped Dwayne Brown could get healthy. They hoped Mekhi Becton would come back and be healthy and, and be the player they thought they were getting when they took him in the first round. They hoped that Max Mitchell would have his blood clots under control and be able to stabilize himself and get to you know a, a starting caliber level. They hoped that moving AVT all over the place wasn't going to make things awkward and lead to him getting hurt again. They hoped all of that would happen. There was no plan. There was no what if it doesn't there was what do we do if if things don't go how we're hoping they go where you can look at this safety situation and go you're hoping ashen davis can improve take over that starter role play really well play himself into another contract the year after and the money that you would have spent to keep jordan whitehead this year you can spend to keep ashen davis next year and if it doesn't work out you still could have chuck clark as a backup plan you could see how he does that probably won't cost you very much and if Clark still isn't able to give you what you need, then you know you have a, a hole you need to fill going into the next season, and it can be one of your top draft priorities. That's a plan and we really haven't seen the Jets act with a plan since twenty twenty two yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. Um, I think that does it uh for us this week. Thank you all so much for tuning in, being a part of another wild and crazy Jets season as we get ready for another wild and crazy Jets offseason right afterwards. We're going to start getting into the draft here a little bit in the next couple of weeks. Obviously, the big offensive tackle discussion has been on everybody's minds going into the draft and and what options they might have to improve this offensive line. We're going to get into that real soon as well. Matt, let the people know where they can find you and we can wrap this one up. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jets. And you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. You can also follow the show at OKD Podcast. Thank you all so much for stopping by and we will be back real, real soon. See ya.